Are you guys ready to recite the Knight's Code? I am hereby sworn to valor. To speak only the truth. Rewind thy tapes before return. To use arms to defend the helpless. To use might to uphold the weak. Respect the day of legs. My heart knows only virtue. My wrath will undo the wicked. Honor thy God, Crom. Hello, satirists, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel, here with my fellow dragon lovers. I'm Jack Olander, a bit of a roughhousing villager. Personally, I like to just stir things up a little bit, you know, cause a little chaos. I'm always rebelling. <laughs> And you know me, I'm Chelsea, and uh, I'm a rebel leader. Oh! So here we go. Wow, it's a we're match made to, in heaven. We're about to lead this thing. We're about to get this thing going. Yeah, it, it's good to have direction, but I gotta tell you, I don't work well with leaders. Whether they're rebels, or <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm uneducated. Look, I don't know how this okay, works. Okay, we can be a loosely associated cooperative. How about that? Guys, my know. cottage is on fire! Do you know anything about this? Yeah, we were actually having a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to have to deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you can't tell by the introduction so far, this week we watched 1996's Dragonheart. Directed by Rob Cohen, director of such other movies, question mark, as Triple X. It was a movie I liked a lot when I was younger, and it's yeah. very bad. It was a movie that happened. I watched it. Don't remember much of it. I think it more happened to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this movie stars Dennis Quaid, Sean Connery, David Thewlis, Peter Postlewaite, a return from last week, Jason Isaacs, Julie Christie, Dina Meyer, etc., etc. Big cast. Big cast. A lot of, lot of horses, a lot of peasants. This movie is chock-a-block with peasants. A lot of dirt, a lot of mud. Yep. A lot of fruit. Yeah. Vegetables. Fruit and vegetables. An abundance, looks like to me. No, a bounty, even. Makes you wonder why uh, those townspeople were ready to resort to cannibalism. It's true. Perhaps a summary would give us a bit more insight into why that was. <laughs> it might. This will be an interesting summary, since I am sick and on medication. We're all a little <laughs> bit sick, actually, so this, this episode is going to be... It's going to be a hoot, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, let's let's do a summary for this whole thing. Yeah, why not? So, Dragonheart. You know what, guys? This is a movie about a man out of time. You know, Bowen. He follows this old code of the Knights of the Round Table, no less. Wow, that's a hell of a code. Yeah. So this is set in the world of King Arthur, part of that mythos. and That's um, our world, right? <laughs> <laughs> is that what that round thing was? A table? I thought it was some sort of wheel of cheese. Yeah, how did they even get that in there? I don't know. Oh, wait, wrong movie. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I feel like we've already been here. <laughs> So he wants everybody he's around and teaches to follow this old code, but everybody thinks he's a little loopy, and they just want to get what's theirs. But Bowen, he's really in the codes. It's like his whole thing. Yeah. So he just keeps getting betrayed. He gets super jaded. So he teaches Prince Einan the ways of the old code. It's an old code, but a good one. It's like chivalry, but vague. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no poetry involved. You no. know, they're supposed to uphold the weak, defend the helpless, speak only truth. But there's a lot of wiggle room in there, if you know what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> we know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Bowen had so many chances to kill that Einan kid, and uh, he just missed it every missed time. He could have slit his throat with a wooden sword. Yeah, maybe one Fed of him those, to a dragon. You never know. One of those splinters could have got him. I mean, this is the 10th century. Splinters <laughs> were very potentially lethal. Oh, man. I just thought of a rewriting history. Right. <laughs> oh, boy. Little bit of uh, infection, some good old pus. He's a goner. Little you know? little pus infection. That's uh, the name of my new uh, medieval-themed metal band. But <laughs> this being a time of legend, there's a dragon involved. <gasps> I love dragons. Oh, scary. Einan's mother, Queen Aislinn, uh, daughter of the Celts, takes him after he's injured, fatally injured in a peasant uprising to an old dragon friend she has who gives Einan half of his hearts to keep him alive. I'm assuming that the dragon just didn't need the other half. I don't know how dragon hearts work. Listen, it's magic. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Enough said. Yeah. So everybody's a little worried about Einan because he's kind of a selfish kid, but they all kind of sweep it under the rug and just let it go. So, meanwhile, 12 years pass. Now it's 996 CE. (laughs) And old Einan, now the king, is kind of a dick. Well, he was always a dick. He's upgraded from dick to asshole. (laughs) (laughs) And he's just working his peasants to the bone. Got them at the quarry. Killing them for fun. I smell class struggle. Blinding them because it's easy, you know? Yeah, yeah, it is easy. Using them for target practice. When he's bored. You know, it's no good. Kidnapping people. Not a good time for anybody except for Einan and his cronies. True. They seem to be loving it. They're living life. <laughs> Bowen tries to knock some sense into him, but he's just not having it. Yeah, he even gave him a hug. Very nice moment. Oh, I love hugs. Yeah. So this is what I'm talking about. Bowen, a man out of time. Nobody cares about his coat anymore. So... He's like Captain America, but sweatier. Ooh. Bowen doesn't want to see the writing on the wall, and he blames the Dragonheart for spoiling Einan. And so he vows to hunt down all dragons as a form of revenge for what he thinks is Einan being cursed. Yo, Bowen's kind of a speciesist. Kind of is. Yeah, kind of a monster. Yeah. Because in this setting, dragons are intelligent, sentient, and sensitive beings who only hurt people in self-defense. Yeah. Oh, very benevolent. Yeah. Yeah. So he goes around those 12 years killing a bunch of dragons until he finds the last one. Jesus Christ. Yeah. He's kind of a, a dragon scourge. No joke, he's committed dragon genocide. He's so lethal. They can't recover from this. He's literally. In any other setting, he'd be a mass murderer. (laughs) I mean, I think those things are still true. I mean, I guess they're technically not war crimes because I don't think there's technically a war going on, but still. He's waging a personal war. (laughs) So, he finds this last dragon. They fight to a stalemate. With a and, sword in his mouth. And decide to have a truce. And they slowly become friends and start bilking those stupid peasants out of their coin. Hey, wait a minute. I don't like, <laughs> I don't like your tone. <laughs> uh, stupid peasants. Wait, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> the peasants were always revolting. Hey-oh! <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, the former rebel leader's daughter, Kara, almost kills Einan... That would have been a good thing. (laughs) But she gets captured, and he's going to try to force her to be his queen in an uncomfortable scene. Very uncomfortable. And um, his mother, who hates his guts by this point, this is Queen Aislinn, if you remember, she helps free Kara because she doesn't want her to lead the same life that she led. She doesn't want her to be trapped like she was trapped. And then Kara meets up with Bowen and the dragon who's now been named Draco after a dragon constellation. It means dragon. 
After some hijinks and shenanigans, they finally make it back to her childhood village where they raise a rebel army to fight back against Ainan. At first, reluctantly. Yeah, until they knew there was a dragon on their side, they weren't too keen on getting slaughtered again. I mean, I suppose that's fair. But, to be fair, in the first rebellion 12 years prior, they didn't have an awesome Knight of the Code teaching them. I guess that's true. Yeah. So here we have Bowen training what looks like hundreds of peasants to becoming low-tier fighters. Yeah, I'd say, like, maybe level two commoners. Yeah, they've got sharp sticks. It seems like maybe, like, Gilbert gets, like, a level of fighter, maybe, just because he's got some natural talent and a good BAB. Good. Yeah, and he leads the peasant uprising to Ainan's castle gates, and Ainan leads a group of warriors on horseback against them, overconfident in his ability to just mow them down. Little does he know that Bowen and his buds have a, a sweet strategy in mind. They seem to run away and then just entrap Ainan and his crew in the woods with fire all around them. It's an ambush. It's lit! <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Yeah. And there's an, a really great fight scene here, which we'll describe in more detail later. Oh, just so much fighting, so much dual wielding, so much... Uh, quipping by Gilbert. Yeah. Best part of the movie. Oh yeah, Brother Gilbert. He's a he's a great poet and sidekick to Bowen throughout the movie. We'll talk more about him later. Oh, just chef's kiss. Best sidekick ever. So, they basically slaughter all of, uh, or most of Ainan's cronies. <laughs> <laughs> That's tragic. <laughs> <laughs> there is so much death in this movie. <laughs> oh. And Ainan is fatally wounded by Brother Gilbert, who's a crack shot. Oh, yeah. He's um, so That's what I said. He got like a level of fighter. Maybe ranger, I guess. I could see him being a ranger. Favorite enemy, humans and dummies. Oh. But because he has a dragon heart beating in his chest, he cannot die. And we see that Draco is actually injured in that same moment as well. Oof. Ainan realizes what's going on here, and he races back to the castle to capture Draco and make sure that he can be enslaved to try to live forever. He also realizes that when he thought his mother was hiring dragon slayers to help him, she was actually hiring dragon slayers to make sure that Ainan died when Draco was killed. Exactly. Got and him. As soon as he realizes that's what she did, he fucking kills her. Yeah, classic Good. evil prince. That's what king. we call the Uno reverse card. <laughs> yes, exactly. And... Right before Ainan can kill Kara, Bowen swings an axe around and kills Draco. His best his, friend. At Draco's request, to be fair. Oh yeah, but still his best friend. Kill me. Do it. I'm right here. <laughs> Don't be a coward. So he's immensely sad, but then Draco turns into a gold mist and flies up to join his place with his ancient brethren among the stars. And devastate the cosmos by rearranging the constellations. That had to have caused some tremendous cosmological events. We get some ending narration at this point that Bowen and Kara go on to become the leaders of this land, and bring in a new golden age. Ah, uh, classic golden age. Well, with that summary out of the way, I guess it's time to go into the delve. Welcome to the delve. Well, we talk about the movie that we just watched in depth, going into the themes, the messages, the class struggles, and everything else that we want to talk about. So, guys, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this before, but a lot of fantasy movies have class struggles, and this movie is all about class struggle from beginning to end. 
All right. I, I, I guess I could be open to the idea of that. <laughs> Do you have any evidence? I have lots of evidence. So one of the very first lines we hear in the entire movie is uh, that the peasants are in revolt. And I'm pretty sure it's uh, either Ainan or one of his knights who goes, The peasants are always revolting, double entendre. <laughs> oh. oh, I get it. Right? See? <laughs> oh, I didn't get that until just now. <laughs> we peasants are illiterate, you see. Oh, God. So, yeah, we've got your classic evil prince turned evil king. A real Joffrey type, if you know what I mean. Whoa. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, and we've got, uh, you know, we, the, the people are hot to trot with rebellion early on. But after Ainan sends his armed knights into battle against them to put down this rebellion, they kind of lose their gumption a little bit. And we see that later on. 12 years later when Kara is trying to rouse the rabble into fighting against this evil king, they refuse to do it. As Chelsea mentioned, you know, until they have a dragon on their side, they really don't want to fight back against the king, which is understandable. Uh, the former king did kind of just run rough, roughshod through their village in the first rebellion and then burned down all their houses. Yeah, and the, the previous king, Ainan's father, was killed in this fight against the peasants. So, <laughs> got him. These peasants are pretty effective in their uprisings. But then they refuse to do it. Whoa. It's because they're crushed under this horrible system of inherited rulership. That, you know, obviously, I mean, they didn't vote for this king. They don't have any stake in this. The king just sits up in his castle, milking the peasants empty. I think that's how that works. And just to build this one castle that the Romans built? Yeah, that's right. Aiden's like, oh, the Romans built this castle. It's ruins now, so I'm going to use a slave labor force to rebuild it. And he, he does. I mean, and it's horrible. He... he literally has a man blinded for, well, I, I guess for killing his father. So, I mean, I guess it's somewhat understandable that Ainan would be a little bit upset about that. But then again, he wanted his father to die. What Bowen doesn't realize is that while he thinks that Ainan has been following this code and that it's the dragon's heart that corrupted him, we find out from the beginning of the movie that that's not the case. We see Ainan... Telling his father, while his father is dying in his arms, he says, just die, I want, I mean, and then implying that he wants to be the king. Like, right. He wants to rule. Yeah. So just like in reality, the people who most want to rule are often the ones that we actually don't want to be in charge. Funny you should say that, because, like, you know, I've been thinking, maybe a peasant should be in charge, <laughs> and I thought I'd be a pretty good candidate for that. Oh, interesting theory. Stab him. <laughs> what are you saying over oh, there? Oh, nothing, nothing. Oh, anyway, class struggle you were saying? Yeah, so this movie is just ripe with class struggle, and I love it. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I was really unclear, like, what Ainan's end goals here were. Like, when the castle was done, what then? Like, he doesn't seem to be accumulating any wealth or anything. Oh, I, I know this. Absolute power. Oh, yeah. right. See, it's very subtle. <laughs> but see, what he wants is for everyone to do everything he says. At all times. Yeah. So I think that this time of peasant uprisings and cruel kings is mm. supposed to be set against this idea of Arthur, right? The good king, yeah. the democratic king to some extent. A real swell king. Yeah. They do visit Avalon in the movie The Resting Place of King Arthur and his knights. Which is where Bowen re-ups his knight card. Yeah. <laughs> so I was surprised by that. I didn't realize going into this that this movie, the world in this movie was set in the uh, mythos or the legend of King Arthur. And they use it, I think, somewhat effectively. I mean, it's it's an interesting take. I think that mm -hmm. this movie does an interesting thing with the lore. Yeah, so it's continuing it from the King Arthur tales into the time periods after to see kind of... They're kind of playing around with the idea of, like, what would happen after King Arthur is dead. So this is kind of like fanfic that's like post-King Arthur fanfic, right? Yeah. <laughs> and this, as we learned before, and we've discussed in previous movies about 
King Arthur. It was See <clears throat> episode King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. When these legends were being told, when these stories were first being told in England, many different bards or uh, writers, scribes, would kind of take their own creative license, their own liberties with the story and change it around or write offshoots of the story and play around in the world and in the lore that was created. So it's in keeping with that tradition that they would do that with this movie. It's really interesting. Wow, what a good idea. We should do that on this podcast. Take a story and then like imagine a sequel to it. What a novel idea. Cool. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's true. There's also another interesting thing it does, though, that I don't think has any connection to the King Arthur mythos, which is that apparently at one point dragons and humans were also, like, best buds and worked together, but then something went wrong. Because that's what Draco tells Bowen. Yeah, that dragons used to be allies with humans and were kind of the shepherd for humans. They were an older race, and they, to, in their opinion, h humans were kind of a young race, he's, as he described it. And they saw it as their place that they should protect them. Yeah, there's a, definitely a theme of, like, mentorship in this movie. Right. I mean, we've got Bowen and Einan. Bowen's supposed to being the one who's supposed to teach morals and pass them on. Later on, after... Einan kind of betrays those morals. Bowen is becoming a mercenary. He's kind of separated from society. He needs to find a mentor in Draco to kind of reacquaint him with, with his own code of knightly honor and everything. Yeah, well, what ha seems to have happened is, within the conceit of this story, that men have been lured by the glitter of glory and power and reputation over the virtues of a knight, based on the old code. Again, the people who most want to rule are typically the ones who are the worst suited for it. And so it seems like they've gone down these paths that have led them away from their their old virtuous lifestyle and which has led them to kind of move away from their alliance with the dragons. So that situates this movie in kind of the tradition of this idea that things used to be better in the past. Which right. is a, which is a very common myth that humans tend to tell. That there's this kind of idea of a golden age or like, well, things used to be so much better before fill in the blank with social movement or behavioral pattern that arises. Or medicine got invented. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really ruined uh, humans' lifestyle when yeah. medicine showed up. Indoor just, plumbing. Ugh, I hate it. Vile. And there are many ways where if you were to take... Um, another perspective and looking at things in the past, especially for, you know, certain groups of people that it would not have been better. No. I mean, I, I would argue that it probably wasn't better for practically anybody. Maybe if you were a king, but even then. I mean, it just depends on what time period you're talking about and and where. Sure. Yeah, of course. <clears throat> there, is, there is always, in history, seems to be a marginalized group of some type, <clears throat> and those who seek to keep them in that position because they want to hold their place of power or privilege. Mm, yes, this tracks. <laughs> yeah, that's why the future is where it's at. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so it that idea that things were always better in the past often doesn't hold up to scrutiny, no. basically. But I've worked with a lot of people who do not seem to understand that. True, true. I did think it was interesting how they kept saying that the code of Arthur is the good code to live by. But Arthur's not doing too hot, and he appears to be the one knight that still follows the code. You mean uh, Bowen? Yeah, <coughs> Bowen. Uh, it doesn't seem to be, be a very successful philosophy. <laughs> no, doesn't really seem to hold up too well. Well, you know, one thing is that it's very rigid and it doesn't leave any room for mistakes. Yeah, it's true. King Arthur was not about making mistakes. <laughs> very perfectionist. But it's in our mistakes that we can learn and grow. Yeah. Now, it is it is important here to, to point out, I think it's significant, early on we see... Um, when Bowen is first trying to, or not first trying to, but after Einan's become king and Bowen is trying to appeal to him and say, you know, what about the code? What about the code? 
Ainan says that a king is above the code. And that's kind of what breaks Bowen's heart. Yeah. And I think we would all agree that no individual should be above the rules of society, right? No, but oh, we should all be treated exactly. equally. We should all be equal in the eyes of the law and everything. Even the president. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> the president can pardon himself, right? Right? That's a thing. I don't like where this is going. <laughs> Uh-oh. But yeah. So another um, trope that I noticed that we've been tracking through all these movies is redemption. Oh, classic. Yeah. And, um, Draco seeks redemption for the mistake he feels like he made. He he In thought, saving that little shit <laughs> I know. Yeah. He thought that giving him half of his heart would be his salvation, but he called it his sin. And he was seeking redemption for that. And there's all kinds of dragon lore he was going into, and that's something Jack was really interested in talking about. Yeah, it's uh <laughs> it's pretty cool. Seems like the dragons, right? Those are the big wing things with scales that breathe fire? No. Oh, shit. Yes, actually, oh, yes. Oh, phew. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, well, the first thing I was unclear on, do they have a god? Is there a god of dragons? Oh, a dragon god? Like Bahamut? Yeah. It seems more like a dragon collective up in the heavens. Ooh, uh, I like of. it. Are you saying that dragons are the perfect democratic society? Oh, yeah. Even extending into their religion? Pretty Amazing. Good. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But the dragons, they have souls. You know, that's pretty good. It's nice to know off the bat that you definitely have a soul, right? Well, dragons, dragons do. That, don't we don't see any evidence in this movie that humans have souls. No, a lot of humans die and they don't turn into nebulous energy yeah. and float up into the sky. But, yeah, the dragons, they have souls. If they're, if they're good... They get to shoot up into space yep. <laughs> and join their brethren and, and I don't know, uh, just they get to join the other dragons. In dragon heaven. Yeah, in dragon heaven, <laughs> if oh, they're man. good. Dragon heaven sounds great. Yeah. It if, was if they're good and they do something worthy of taking their place among the stars. Yes. And uh, if you're bad, you just cease existing. Like you never were there. I have been yeah. told. I have been told that we are all made of stars. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. I saw that on a uh, greeting card one time. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that was really interesting. Pretty interesting. Yeah, and the the dragon heaven didn't always exist either. It was um, one of his ancestors who made a pact to be the caretaker of the humans and convinced other dragons to join him in this effort. And somewhere along the line, we really fucked up that bargain. <laughs> and it was the nobility of this cause that when he died, the, that ancestor died, um, his soul created the dragon heaven. Oh, how wonderful. Oh, man. It's like a, a, a utopia up there. <laughs> yeah, not bad. So... It could seem like that was Draco's belief, but then it is confirmed after he dies. Yeah, it's true. I had uh, big flashbacks to the uh, the Iron Giant during his death scene. Ooh, do tell. Yeah. Well, Spoilers for the Iron Giant? Yes, warning. Yes, when Draco dies, his body turns into a, uh, like... Radi radioactive gas, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. it's like a golden nebula mist like you described it before. That's, or a radioactive mist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what happens to all of us when we die, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. And uh, it gives it gives our favorite knight a nice kiss on the cheek. Aww. He gets, as Chelsea described it, yeah. A nice little <laughs> glow before it shoots off into space and supernovas. It's true. <laughs> Literally rearranges the constellations. It like like pentuples the stars more even. Hundred it, times. It must create like I mean, I'm just imagining that the speed at which the the suns, the these stars are moving throughout the universe must be just tearing black holes and antimatter through the cosmos. Reality. Like rearranging reality. Reality is like a sandbox with, like, a kid shoveling matter and stars all over the universe. In that scene, I just imagine Thanos standing there watching it going, 
holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the constellation is just, like, moving around so many light years in the span of uh, fractions of a second. And then, yeah, it like, they all conglomerate into one massive star and just supernova. The entire universe, a big bang happens, and there's just billions of stars. And all the peasants are just standing there, slack-jawed, yeah. wide-eyed, just watching the world end. Seriously, it's just going over these shots of these peasants just standing there, like, just mouth agape, eyes agog. Yeah, that's a rewriting history as it just white-outs the screen. <laughs> it just cuts to credits and there's no music. No, no. No credits. No credits. <laughs> just stop. <laughs> the end of everything. Bowen yeah. didn't know he was canceling the universe when he killed Draco. <laughs> oh my god. If mankind doesn't want its shepherds, then everything will end. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it reminded me of the Iron Giant. This is the spoiler right here. Because, uh, the, you know, the giant flies up to intercept a nuclear bomb. Right. And explodes, oh, yeah. and everyone looks in the sky, and it looks like a bunch of stars are exploding outward and covering the sky. Oh, poor and giant. so I was like, oh, and then Draco just, he sacrificed himself to save the day, and there's the big explosion with the stars. That's right. Yeah. Just, a, just something it made me think of. You know, the, the peasants probably thought it was the end of the world, though. Yeah. I thought it was the end of the universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, I, I would be remiss if we didn't take a few moments to talk about the fact that this movie has a pretty strong uh, female side character, I'd say, in Kara. She's interesting. Um, we were kind of, while watching the movie, saying that she's very similar to Bowen. And then he just comes right out and says, like, basically that she reminds him of himself when he was younger and he yeah. still had that glow of new knighthood and and that belief in the knight's code and it kind of sets up this uh interesting dynamic where Kara starts to kind of take on some of um Bowen's knightly qualities and becomes a pretty badass fighter. Yeah, he starts to train her. She is the rebel former rebel leader's daughter. Right. And she almost killed Ainen in the first revolution. It was kind of an accident though, right? She attacked him. He stumbled and fell into a spiky pole. <laughs> Cla classic princes. Yeah. She also tries to assassinate him, like, straight-up rogue style. The only reason that he catches her is because he just happens to be looking in the reflective surface of a picture at that point. And then she tries to kill him again. Yeah. She's not very good at killing Ainen, you know. No, but, I mean, so obviously at least a level of rogue. I mean, you know, she's not... Um, successful in the attack but like Aiden's got some levels he was trained by Bowen right so yeah. like she's at least a level one rogue then I'm sure she takes some ranger levels later she's dual wielding like a fucking champ yeah. in that final uh war battle scene yeah That's war true. battle scene the war battle scene yeah you know the one yeah with the war battle with the fire <laughs> yes and the arrows which scene oh never mind I'll catch on so, uh... So Kara's a solid character. Yeah. Yeah, she is. <clears throat> and she becomes one of the leaders that helps organize the people along with Bowen in the second revolution they lead that is right. ultimately successful. Yeah, she seems kind of like the local contact because she knows all the people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's kind of the catalyst for a lot of the action and for Bowen's kind of redemption story, too. Yeah. And And not in, like, the typical way that, like... A female romantic lead character would be the catalyst for adventure. She's the catalyst because she has her own drive. And she is driven by something that does not have to do with developing a relationship with the protagonist. She would like his help, but if he's not going to give it, she's going to go out and try to kill the king herself. She already did that three times without his help. Yeah. Oh, three attempts. And then she was trying to gather the peasants into another 
rebel army without his help. And they are just <laughs> fucking lampooning her. They're throwing rotten vegetables and dirt all over her, just being like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, no, this king is very oppressive. We need to fight back against this. And they're just, oh. like, humiliating her. Yeah. You're right. That's the first time she tries to organize them. She tries to organize them herself a second time in the movie. Yeah. Before Bowen steps in. Yeah. I got a lot of respect for Kara. Yeah. She's a go-getter. Yeah. And a knight. She's definitely a knight. Oh, yeah. Unofficially, but... Yeah. But she becomes a knight. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Officially. In our heads. Yes. Officially and in, in the, our heads. And in the lore. They, they say that she and Bowen lead a golden age. Yeah. Yeah. See, the future is brighter than the past. Hey. Boom. It's like I said. Callback. Well then, now that we've covered that, I guess it's time to determine if the villain of this movie was evil, stupid, or misunderstood. And now it's time for Evil, Stupid, or Misunderstood. The part of the show where we discuss whether or not the villain or antagonist of the film was evil, stupid, or just misunderstood. Guys, I'm pretty sure that Ainan is straight up evil. And stupid. Okay, he is stupid. But mostly evil. Like, when his father is dying right in front of him, he's just like, Dude, why won't you die so I can become king? Yeah. That's pretty evil. He's, he's greedy and he's got a little bit of cleverness but he's not that bright no No. he's a lot worse at everything than he thinks he is like he's kind of like trying to like mock bowen when they're fighting but bowen is just like basically wiping the floor with him but not wanting to strike the killing blow i think because he still believes that he can reach einan and einan just like keeps coming back like oh no i'm gonna whoop your ass or whatever but uh, but yeah, Bowen is just wiping the floor with this fucking yeah, brat. Yeah, when, when I think of Aiden, I think he's just a braggart, you know? That's just what I think. But it is hard, I have to admit, to look down on any character played by David Thewlis because Professor Lupin has such a warm place in my heart. I know, it was yeah. hard to. But it's without true. the mustache, it's really not the same. It's not the same. <laughs> also... They mentioned that he inherited his father's bloodthirst. So Not a good quality to inherit. It's kind of implied off the bat, it's out of his control, he's just evil. His dad was evil, so his kid, you know, he was it's a toss. raised by that asshole, so... It's true. Yeah, that's fair, but I mean, we the can cycle. all choose to uh, rise above the upbringings that we have, to some extent. To some extent. Sometimes yeah. you just can't escape that cycle of abuse. Yes, that's true. I guess what, what what I more meant to say was that we should reflect critically what lessons we learned from our parents that would be best left behind. And bloodthirst is probably one of those qualities. Well, you see, and uh, Bowen was a major influence on Ainan when he was young, so you would think he would have internalized some of the teachings, but he never did. But it is hard when you when you have one voice telling you to be noble and just, and another voice, or I'm sorry, and then you see the actions of your father crushing peasant uprisings and charging in the battle, chopping down the villagers and burning their cottages. And So he got a real mixed message thing going on. Boys do tend to learn more through example when it comes to their fathers. Yeah, it's hard to show examples of being noble and just, right? Like, you'd have to, he'd have to have been with Bowen as Bowen, like, sacrificed something or, or like, gave charitably to the peasants or something. And yeah. I don't know if that was the relationship that Bowen and Einan had. Yeah, he mentioned that all he learned from Bowen was how to fight. Yeah. But not even very well, apparently. Uh, he could beat Kara whenever they fought. I think it was just that Bowen was just the best knight and sword fighter in the land. Yeah, he kills dragons by himself. You know? <laughs> That's true, man. Imagine the XP that would get you. Yeah, he's been grinding for a while. Yeah? What but, level do you think Bowen is? Ooh, he's up there. He's really up there. Yeah. But this is about Ainan. 
It's true. real piece of shit. But <laughs> I think we should probably touch on Bowen for just a minute in this segment. I'm going to say he's misunderstood because there was a misunderstanding. He thought the Dragonheart corrupted his young yeah. mentee. <laughs> yeah. And well, I guess that means Draco's misunderstood but, by Bowen. Yeah, yeah. But Bowen could be interpreted as villainous. When we mentioned redemption, we only talked about Draco. Okay. When Bowen has genocided the dragons to the point where they can never recover. Excellent point. And he's never viewed as a villain for doing this. And uh, I'm just saying, that's pretty evil. But he's misunderstood because yeah. he's trying to save his friend. It does make me wonder how there's sequels to this movie with apparently dragons. Like, I want to know how the dragons come back. Maybe there are just, like, tons of dragons outside of England. And... Fair. They just... <laughs> Draco just doesn't know. Yeah. He just stuck. He just stuck around there. That's fair. Oh, well, the Norwegian dragons are a completely different thing. <laughs> yeah. One of these sequels just came out this year, so I guess we're going to have to make it, like, a yearly tradition to talk about Dragonheart movies. I love it. Sounds good to me. Especially since I've only seen the first one, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, now that that's done, I guess it's time for ratings. All right, guys, I'm going to go around the table and ask each of you to tell me one epic moment from the movie that really stood out to you, and then to rate this film from one to ten swords. Jack, what do you think? Epic moment when our favorite knight and our favorite dragon first meet and they're dueling to the death. Uh, there's a scene where our knight friend, Bowen, as it were, gets a, uh, a rope around... Draco's leg and is being pulled around violently as Draco <laughs> is flying. That was great. Yeah. And Shades he, of Age of the Dragon. Yeah, it's very yes, it's very comedic. He's being whipped in the face by all these branches while he's screaming. They're silly camera angles. It's definitely meant to be comedic. The music is jovial. I imagined Yakety Sax playing in the background. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's screaming and stuff, but they're still bantering back and forth, like, oh, you can't fly forever, uh, or, like, you can't stay in the air forever, and he's like, neither can you. <laughs> Not after I smash you into this tree. It's true. And you were right, Jamie. It gave me big Age of the Dragon flashbacks. <laughs> yes. When, uh... Ahab, Ahab gets yes. bashed against a rock by a dragon. Yeeted. Who he's tied to by a rope. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that was a yeet or just a uh, just a straight up smash. Maybe it wasn't a yeet, but he was yoked. <laughs> so that, there's something to be said. But that was my epic moment. They Silly really rocked fights. his world. <laughs> yep. Oh god. <laughs> I was impressed with this movie. It was fun. And it actually was kind of more progressive in some ways than I expected. And kind of smarter in some ways I expected. I I had a jolly good time. I'm going to give this beep boop bop seven swords and a short sword. That's, that's my rating. Honest and true. Thank you. Just like the Knight's Code. Yes. Everyone knows I'd I would not kill but do something chivalrous to join the round table. That sounds sick. <laughs> All right. Chelsea, your epic moment and your rating. My epic moment is during that battle with the fire that we mentioned before. And Brother Gilbert, that poet, is shooting guys with his bow and arrow. And, you know, he's a man of the Lord, so he doesn't want to kill anybody. So he finds some creative ways around that. So he shoots one guy in the butt, and he says, turn the other cheek. Oh, so good. And then he shoots a spring that's holding a log into a few guys riding on horseback. And he makes another great quip from the scriptures. And then he is going to have to make a killing blow on Prince or King Ainan. And Grudgingly. He's shaking and he says, thou shalt not kill. But he takes the sniper shot. 
right he, to the heart. He would normally have killed Aiden right there, but as we know, he was linked to the dragon. I mean, yeah, Aiden was shot through the heart and Gilbert was to blame. Yeah, it's true. So, that was my epic moment. I'm also going to give this movie 7 out of 10 swords. It, I, I watched it when I was young and it's still just as good as, as before. And it is progressive. You made a good point, Jack. And uh, I think it holds up for the most part. So, yeah, I think it's, it's fun. It's a fun movie. It's well made. Seven Swords. That's a good amount of swords. I, I watched it close to when it first came out. And the CG is a little cheesy now. But it was, to me, at the time, it looked really good. Yeah. So <clears throat> Even today, I think, yeah, it's a little <laughs> cheesy. But, like, it's not so bad. It's a bother yeah. Draco's kind of cute. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. What's my epic moment, you ask? What's your epic moment? I'm glad you asked. I love the first moment after Draco and Bowen make their alliance together, and they set up this con where Bowen is going to, quote, kill Draco, unquote, and collect a bounty for him, but it's really just a ruse that they have set up. So Bowen fires like a ballista bolt at Draco. Draco catches it, shoves it in between his dragon armpit and falls into the water and basically dies, but really escapes. And then Bowen gets the spoils. And then they like just go buddy off together. And like they're just laughing and having a good old time talking about how they've really fleeced the nobles and everything like I love it. I love a good friendship movie. And this is a really solid uh, friendship we have between Bowen and Draco. Really, really warms the cockles of my hearts with dragon fire. Yeah? Nice. They hit it off. So I'm going to match Jack's seven swords and a short sword. This was a solid, fun movie. Um, it drags a little bit in some places, but the story's heartwarming. I think it does some stuff in an innovative way. I think it does really hold up nicely. So yeah, seven and a half. Really had a good time. Pretty Especially good. watching that with you guys. Yeah. Yay! That's always the best. And on that note, I think we'd better head to the bounty board. Welcome to the Bounty Board. There are no bounties today, so maybe you should email us at swordsandsatire at gmail.com and send us your questions, queries, or promotional inquiries. Hmm? Then I guess it's time to rewrite history. Welcome to Rewriting History, the part of the show where we come up with a sequel, a reboot, or a spinoff from the movie we just watched. And I think that we had an idea for a spinoff with Kara. So as we noticed, Kara is becoming a knight. She could get some... We did notice that. Yeah. Man, that was cool. So she could get some more formal training from Bowen. That also sounds very cool. Yeah. And maybe they would found their a new order of knights. Ooh, I like... Oh my gosh. Of I like any it. gender. Yeah, just knights. Just, yeah. That's all. The knights... It's not a brotherhood. It's not a sisterhood. It's just a hood of knights. It's true. The knights of the spherical table. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they expand where the round table left off. How do they sit around it? The, you, the chairs are just built in, jutting <laughs> out of it. Why? Well, figure... As it dangles from the ceiling and you just strap into a chair. <laughs> <laughs> One guy hangs upside down on the bottom. I, I figured with another thing, I figured that after Draco destroyed the cosmos, like reality starts to bend and twist and it becomes possible to sit around a sphere. Oh dear God, oh no. God. <laughs> So get some non-Euclidean geometry up in there. So that mind-destroying table aside, <laughs> Kara's a knight. So what do you think this golden age is all about? Oh man, it's got to be really good, but like also filled with like 
conflict and battle and epic stuff. I would like to see some equality action happening. Okay, I'm, yeah. I'm listening. So, equality of uh, genders and, you know, people of all types. Okay. And species. I like so that, people of all types. Yeah. And uh, species. So, uh, like, dragon knights? Oh, my Toledo. God. That is the best thing you've ever said. <laughs> wow. I mean, we had wedding vows. Let's <laughs> <laughs> beat that, huh? Yeah. Damn. You never said anything about dragon knights in our wedding vows. I came close. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe they perpetuate a new code of honor. Okay, I like it. The old one's a little dated. Yeah. And like we said, we have to revise the past. Yes, yes, yes. I like the truth part of it. We can keep that. Yeah, truth is a good one. Mm-hmm. Speaking truth. To power. Yeah. yeah. Speaking truth to power is a good code to uphold, I think. Yeah, they should probably include that the people in charge still need to follow the code. Yeah. In the code. Yeah, oh, yeah, put it in the law. I like yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So no one Nobody is above the code. Yeah, yeah. People can't argue over the intent of the writers <laughs> when that's written in there. It's rules as written versus rules as intended. Yeah, yeah. So people defend each other. Yeah, pretty I good. I like it. I like that. That's a good code. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, it's the late 900s, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, Vikings... Yes. Yeah. That would probably be a logical antagonist for the new film. As much as I hate to see Vikings as antagonists, kind of makes sense for late 900s England. And since this is a time of legend, there could be knights, Arthurian knights fighting against um, Vikings. Neo-Arthurian Knights. Yes, that's pretty Now that creates a really nice visual contrast where you can actually see the two sides in clarity. You know, it's very obvious, the Vikings in furs and leathers and and with more, uh, like, what we would call barbaric weapons. It's true. What is deemed barbaric weapons. Axes and broadswords and stuff versus knights in armor riding horseback. And I would like to see this conflict be a bit ambiguous. I would like both sides to have good intentions in their own uh, perspective. Yes. Yes. We want to fully flesh out both sides of the conflict and not dehumanize one side or the other by not allowing the viewer to have a window into their motivation. Yes. Showing how both sides can have honor and both sides... Uh, are making mistakes or are doing things maybe they wouldn't be proud of. The Vikings, of course, are trying to rise above the difficult growing seasons of Scandinavia and and eke out a living in the harsh winters. Maybe one of those miscommunications, one of those mistakes that one of the sides makes, is from the Vikings. Maybe the former king, Einan, just, like, screwed them over back when he was king. Yeah. Ooh, that's Like, good. when the Vikings came at some point, he would just, like, try and kill them off, shoo them away. They're not going to trade when the Vikings need food in those harsh growing seasons, like mm-hmm. you were saying. Yep. And now they're desperate, and so they're coming back with a military force. They don't know there's a new king. Yeah. It's not like there's a news. And Ian yeah. was such a dick, like, why not just destroy the civilization? And... That's a great motivation right there, Jack. Yeah, yeah. And one of the, you know, one of the things could be they don't know the dragons are gone as well. The Vikings don't know that yet. Oh, so they come with their own dragons, ready to fight the dragons of England. Well, exactly. Maybe Draco thought he was the last one, but he was just the last one in England. Exactly. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, and then... So they don't know they have an advantage at first. Yes. (laughs) So then, like, what force of dragons are going to show up to help the English? Like, Irish dragons? No, that doesn't make sense. I think... (laughs) Not, Not that Irish dragons don't make sense. That Irish dragons would help the English doesn't make sense. I think the dragons would probably be a catalyst for the conflict to end, since they're kind of the shepherds of humanity. Yeah. I think after some conflict, when one of them actually meets our two knight rulers, 
and they maybe settle down for a peace meeting. They're, they're, you know, our two kings are profoundly moved by seeing another dragon and having the opportunity to meet with one, even though maybe it doesn't speak English. So you're saying the dragons are the ones that are heralding the peace talks? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I mean, the dragons have a longer view of history than humans. Yeah, maybe they And uh, Draco specifically says that they only fight back. They don't instigate battles. The dragons. Yeah. Right. It's true. So maybe that's the reason why they're fighting in this war, because the last king did attack them. Yeah. And that's why they're helping the Vikings attacking, you know, England. Yeah. And then when they see that... So they think it's a kind of self-defense. Yeah. They're trying to help people. And uh, that could be pretty neat. It would add a lot more gray area than this one. Yeah. I would like that. I'd like a little bit more ambiguity and subtlety. It's true. It would help it feel more like a real situation. Yeah. Now that sounds like a really good spinoff. I am into it, guys. Let us get to work on this. Yes. Well, on that note, I guess it's time for a side quest. Well, guys, this week, I think I'm going to suggest that people check out Dragon's Dogma. Ooh. It's a video game where, in the very beginning of the game, your main character tries to fight a dragon and has their heart torn out. (laughs) And and bound to the dragon. Yeah, just like this. Yeah. I thought of it uh, right away when uh, I uh, had his heart switched with a dragon. Nice. Uh, Yeah, it's it's pretty similar. Um, It's kind of a large open world-ish action adventure game. Um, Third person perspective. You can uh, create characters of different classes and um you know you get to pick a class and then like you can branch out uh once you've mastered some of the skills and stuff from one class and start moving into other classes and get like kind of prestige class type things that you can get over time when you level up enough um it's the combat system's pretty satisfying you can do cool team ups with your companions it's kind of it's a little bit of a almost a squad based game you get like up to three companions who come with you yeah yeah they're called pawns they're very dehumanized that part's not great yeah they kind of are just like these non-autonomous almost like robotic emotionless servants which very bizarre yeah. Almost it, constructs. Yeah, yeah, that part's not great. They're like flesh homunculi. But uh, the gameplay's really fun, and you can, like, climb on the giant monsters you fight, like trolls and, like, hydras and stuff. You, like, grab onto them and, like, scale them, almost like Shadow of the Colossus. That's cool. And they spawn, they can spawn randomly. As yeah. you're running around, just a huge cyclops can be there. That's like 50 feet tall, and you're like, oh, good lord. <laughs> and you have to climb it and find its weak spots, oh, its weaknesses. Yeah. yeah, that's like the best part. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So, uh, Dragon's Dogma. I think you can get it on Steam. I also always, I know it doesn't, but every time I remember the dragon in the beginning speaking, I always imagine it speaking Spanish. <laughs> what would that sound like if a dragon was speaking Spanish? Like, really good. Like, it should do commercials. <laughs> oh, no. That's what I'm imagining. Like, Spanish-language television? Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I, I, I would love this. I mean, I would totally watch a Spanish-language show about... A dragon. I'm just imagining the fawn from Pan's Labyrinth saying Luce Fresca. (laughs) (laughs) But about something dragons would talk about. Yeah, exactly. Like warm blood instead of Uh, fresh milk. Leche Fuego. (laughs) Hot milk? (laughs) Fire milk, yes. I'll take it. (laughs) Well, on that note, I guess it's time for us to head back into our dragon cave. We'd like to thank you for staying and chatting with us. Well, at least we were chatting. If you were chatting with us, that's fine, too. We just probably didn't hear you, or did we? Oh, I love that. Please talk with us while you're listening. (laughs) Yeah. 
I'm sure some people hear what we have to say and are screaming at their podcast <laughs> about the inaccuracies and the mistakes that we constantly make. Wrong. <laughs> That's wrong. <laughs> but uh, if you're not angry at us, then why don't you go ahead and jump on to Apple Podcasts and leave us a little review if you had a good time. Remember, you can listen to us every week on Spotify and Apple Podcast, and you can follow us on Instagram at Swords and Satire, or join our Facebook group for Swords and Satire. Uh, eventually, we'll probably start posting the movies we're going to be talking about the week before, but we haven't started doing that yet, but we probably could. But we do post some awesome memes that Jamie creates. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And sometimes I help with the images. It's my nightly code to post good memes and create good memes. But until next time, Hail Crom! Hail Crom. Hail Crom. Hail the Crom.